0: Do it. I know that's an easy thing to say, but so often we worry what other people are going to say about us. We worry, I think, too much about other people's opinions. And um, five years from now, the things that we're worrying about today won't even matter. But what will matter is the people that we love and the people that love us and that understanding that our days are finite and if we don't seize the moment and do something before we know, we, our days are gone. <laughs>
1: is the artful speaker he is a public speaker speech writer author surpriseologist visionary with many years of experience leading high performing teams he has a unique ability to bring out the best in people that he coaches and mentors he is also an all-around english gentleman please consider checking out his site at www.peterbillingham.com Peter, welcome to the show.
0: Jared, thank you so much. It is wonderful to speak to Mr. Starve the Doubts easily. But, Jared, I've got a question I want to ask you. (laughs) Uh What is the best concert you've ever been to?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, that's convenient because I'm going to ask that same question to you. (laughs)
0: Is this conversation just between you and me? Because if it's between just you and me, I'll tell you that I once went to a Johnny Mathis concert. And if that's not bad enough, I actually once went to a Barry Manilow concert and with the best of them, I got my lighter and I was singing Mandy as loud as I can. But being as nobody else knows this, it doesn't matter. If you want to really know, one of the best concerts that anybody can ever go to is to listen to a group that's called King Pleasure and the Biscuit Boys. (laughs) I think any group that's got a name like King Pleasure and the Biscuit Boys has got to be good and I love them they're a a swing band they play a lot of jazz they play a lot of old standards but they are so fun to watch live they are excellent you can find them on um, the internet if you look around and they're just fantastic.
1: Peter, do you consider yourself guilty of being a English or British music snob? Totally. What do you expect? <laughs> the best music
0: in the world comes from England. Let me just say, <laughs> if we compare the Beatles with the Osmonds, where are we going to go? I mean, what else can we say? You could go into the rock world and there's just group after group. The Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, you name it. Compare that with Spinal <laughs> Tap. Where are we going? <laughs> obviously i'm an english music snob but
1: rightfully so i don't know anyone in their right mind who would try to compare the beatles to the osmonds so that'd be an interesting conversation <laughs> so peter if you were to play a character on the show downton abbey who would you play and why oh that's a good one i'd be the
0: gamekeeper out in the fields poaching <laughs> It, it, when nobody's around, first thing in the morning, I'd have me two dogs and my shotgun under the arm and I'd be out in the fields poaching the rabbits from the gamekeeper next door. That's what I'd be doing. But obviously, <laughs> everybody in England lives still like that today. I mean, I've got a chauffeur and I've got two butlers and I've got a, a, a maid in the kitchen. That's just normal life for everybody in England. Nothing's changed.
1: Would you hire mostly? <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's some interesting characters, isn't there? There really is. I'd have the dogs off the show, but perhaps not the people.
1: Got to be some VA work for (laughs) Mosley. So, Peter, you just got back from New Media Expo. How was it? It was absolutely
0: sensational. What an excellent few days. There's just so much that you can learn. But, you know, the biggest thing that I really enjoyed more than anything is meeting people. I learned so much from just people that I chatted with in corridors. and. Just sitting around tables, drinking coffee and laughing and just finding these people that I'd met online and then talking with them face to face. It's as if you already know them. And that was wonderful. But there was some great learning that took place. Some of the trends that are coming through and some of the things that people are talking about is just fascinating. So, yeah, it was a great week. I'm not too sure about where we stayed I think that's an interesting hotel for anybody that wants to go to Vegas. Perhaps there's some hotels there that you would go to, some you may not. But what a fantastic event.
1: Wow. Because you are the Artful Speaker, was there a keynote or was there a session that really stood out to you in terms from a public speaking perspective? Uh, There was a couple, particularly Michael Hyatt
0: when he spoke was excellent. But there was one that was just above and beyond anything there at all and that was scott stratton he did a keynote one morning and he was speaking about something that he spoke about before many times which is how qr codes are used you know incorrectly but what was really interesting i mean the content some of it i'd heard before some of it you know the majority of it was in his book but his delivery as a speaker was just so well practiced was just outstanding just his facial expressions the way the comedic language that he used, the pacing, the way that he, he stood on his stagecraft, the way that he stood on the stage, the way he moved from one place to another. Uh, for anybody who wants a masterclass in public speaking, that was the session. Uh, I th- what strikes you more than anything else is he knew his material Above everything else, he didn't need any props, he didn't need anything else. His slides were very simple, and it didn't matter because the content of his speech he knew and he delivered it with such enthusiasm and passion. You could listen to the same speech again tomorrow, and you would still be enthralled because he put the time in in rehearsal, and it was just obvious to see. It was outstanding.
1: Peter, what advice do you have to the listeners who are wanting to improve their presentation skills? There's a couple of things that I would say that first, above
0: everything else, is practice. It is the most thing that speakers lack. I listen to speakers on a regular basis, and a lot of speakers have great content. I sometimes work with entrepreneurs who've got a message that they want to communicate, and I try to help them speak that message much clearer. And what I tend to find is that a lot of people, when they get on the feet, it's the very first time that they say the words out loud. And you can tell. And if there's one thing that people could do above everything else is to put in the time that's necessary to practice. Some people have outstanding content, but it's so poorly delivered that you lose it. So the one thing I would say is practice. I mean, my recommendation to people is to tape it, put it onto, you can get something, an app on your phone, or you can put it into your computer, record it and listen to it time and time and time again. Stand in front of a mirror and say it over and over again. Another couple of things, just key things that I think can really help people is you must know you're opening three or four sentences the first two or three minutes as well as you possibly can. I talk about Overlearning it. In other words, know it so well that you just think I can't learn this more than 100%. Well, you can just practice it and practice and practice it. And the reason is, is because whenever you get on a stage, I don't care who you are, there's this initial rush of adrenaline. You just can't help it. If there isn't, then well, you're missing the fun of speaking. I mean, that's part of the fun of speaking. You have a bit of a rush. And what happens is people waffle for the first few vital seconds they thank the granny they thank everybody who's there for them speaking and by then people are already checking the phone looking at facebook you've lost it so you need to know your first two or three minutes so that when that rush of adrenaline comes it doesn't matter you know those words so well you can go straight into it don't mess around Thanking everybody, just come out with a good quote or a good statistic or something that grabs people by the throat, grabs their attention, and then you've got a chance of keeping it. Because if you don't get it in those first few seconds,
1: honestly, Jared, forget it. You're going to lose people very, very quickly. Peter, what are some things that you've done in the past? You've done a lot of presentations. What are some attention grabbers that you've used? For people who are developing this skill, when you open a speech, some attention
0: grabbers that you can use are perhaps an alarming statistic or maybe a very powerful quote that you could use. For me, I've used a lot of props, and that always causes a surprise for people. I've put Hesse and Sachs on a stage and told people it was a snake in the bag when I was, <laughs> when I was talking about fear. And as I sort of mentioned, well, you know, people fear lots of things. And one of the things lots of people fear is snakes. And I brought a snake with me today. You could feel the tension in the room rise. And what I'd done, I'd got this bag tied with a little bit of fishing line. And at a given moment, somebody yanked on this piece of fishing line and the bag jumped off the stage (laughs) <laughs> into, into the front row well you should have seen the people just want to leave that building they were up and out the seats like anything and what i did was went and fetched this bag and opened it up and inside was a piece of hose pipe and i was actually talking about fear fear strangles us fear can prevent us from living a life of fulfillment because we fear these things and often we fear things that aren't real and what I was trying to explain in that, you know, your emotion feels the same, but actually it's not real. You're fearing something that's not going to happen. And so I used that one time I was talking about how each of us are individuals and how we're shaped with different abilities and skills and i got a potter to come on the stage and i put a potter and she got a potter's wheel and she all the time that i was speaking she sat next to me and as i was speaking about the way that we're individually shaped she created from this lump of clay this most beautiful vase so there's lots of things you can do like to raise your game when you're presenting
1: sure Peter, I want to switch gears just a little bit. You and I have been friends now for several months, and you did something very nice for me at the end of last year. You actually sent me a book by Donald Miller, and it's A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And that book I read in one evening, and it really had an awesome impact on me. And I just wanted to have you share for a little bit, how did you come across that book and and what is that book? What has the message of that book done for you?
0: Okay, I actually um, recently tweeted about that and said of all the books I've read, that would be in the top five of all books I've ever read. I came across the book like you do with lots of things almost by accident. I'd read a book by Donald Miller that was called Blue Like Jazz many years ago. And I just liked his writing style. I'd, I'd been looking online of some of the stuff he does with a thing called Storyline, which is a conference that Donald Miller does. And I just noticed the title of this book. And I love books. I'm a book addict. You know, if I went to one of these support groups, I'd say, my name is Peter Billingham and I'm a book addict. I can't resist buying books. I buy lots of books and I just saw it and thought, this is book. And from the opening lines, I was captivated by this book. It's just an amazing book. And in it, Donald Miller talks about a group of filmmakers who wanted to turn Blue Like Jazz into a movie and the book is about that process and they meet him and they sort of say to him you know donald if we're going to get this character in this book for this film we need to do something with his life because his life's boring and of course donald was a bit upset by that my life's not boring and the more that he understood it the more that he realized it was and he went on a search to investigate what does story mean how does a story work how do you have characters how do you have a plot? And what happens with an inciting incident and he decides to put that same skills asks the question is it possible to write a better story with your life and it's just a fascinating book it takes you from uh, hysterics to tears to inspiration to challenges it's amazing and it's been a really I suppose for me it's been one of those books that has been a turning point in my life from when I read it
1: I have several quotes from the book and I wanted to read a few of these quotes and then maybe if you could talk about how that specific quote, what impact that has on you, your current roles, what's going on in your life right now. The first quote is, you talked about fear earlier. Fear isn't only a guide to keep us safe. It's also a manipulative emotion that can trick us into living a boring life. That's a quote from the book A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And so the question I have for you, Peter, is what does the phrase "starve the doubts mean to you?
0: That's very interesting. Yes, I remember those words. I couldn't remember the quote exactly, but I do remember that. As I understand it, the word worry Is an old English word, an old Anglo Saxon word that means to strangle, to take the breath away from. And when doubts come into our life, they rob us of opportunity. They rob us of hope. They rob us of the belief that actually tomorrow could be different. And I know that there are for many people in the world and circumstances which they are out of their control and maybe tomorrow won't be different. But For those of us who perhaps live in in the Western world, we have tremendous hope about how tomorrow can change. And fear of what people are going to think about us, fear of what people are going to say, fear of if we fail, stops us from doing anything. And I love the name of your podcast and I love what you think about because you do have to cut off the supply to those doubts because if you don't, it will rob your life of joy, it will rob your life of happiness, it will rob your relationships of fulfillment and each of us do not really understand the capacity that we have within us. If we're willing to take a risk, if we're willing to jump out, if we're willing to not worry what people say about us.
1: The next quote from the book Somehow we realize that great stories are told in conflict, but we are unwilling to embrace the potential greatness of the story we are actually in. We think God is unjust rather than a master storyteller. My question to you, Peter, is for the listeners who are not familiar with you yet, would you be willing to share what your story is so far? Yes,
0: of course I would do. Stories are fascinating. I love to listen to people's stories. I think it's great to just sometimes close your mouth and open your ears and listen to somebody else's story. My story has been a really eventful story. When I was 13, 14, my dad died. And it's not a good time in your life anytime for your dad to die. But when you're a teenager, it's a bit of a tough time. And I'd sort of dropped out of school after that. And um, my first job was I was a Saturday boy at a butcher's. And I learned that the guy, looking back now, the guy that was the manager of the shop that I worked, I just used to sweep the floors and clean up and that sort of thing. He was very good to me. He could see that I was a bit of a teenager with, had lost my way a bit. So he gave me a job. And the first job that I had, I was an apprentice butcher. And I then did an apprenticeship. I became a master butcher. And by the time that I was 18, I was actually managing this small little retail butcher shop. And by that time, I'd met my wife. And after a couple of years, we got married. I was 21 and she was 18. My wife's called Noreen. She's the love of my life. And I don't know where I'd be without her. And we were broke. I mean, we're absolutely broke. The one good thing about being a butcher is that you don't starve the meat. I used to trade meat for groceries at the shop next door, so we didn't starve, but we hadn't got a lot of money. And I saw this advert in a newspaper which said, would so many pounds pay your mortgage? It wasn't the lot in those days, about £100 or something, and it would have more than paid the mortgage. And it was a little insurance brokers. So I went to work for this insurance broker part-time. And it wasn't long before I was earning more part-time than I was full-time. So she's crazy. And this has been a, a theme in my life is let's take a risk. Let's do something exciting. So I gave up my job as a butcher. And I went to work for Sun Alliance, one of England's largest insurance companies, as a commission-only salesman. Man, does that make you get out of bed on a morning. If you know you're not going to earn any money until you sell something, it certainly makes you get out of bed. But it was good years. I had 13, 14 years with this insurance company, and I worked my way through the management ranks until I was the regional manager, the sales manager for the whole of the central England region. Um, selling annuities, selling pensions, selling investments and that kind of thing. And they were good years. But during that time, I think there was a process that was going on in my life where my faith was actually being impacted by lots of other different things. And I came to a time where I thought, you know, I wonder if I could ever have hacked the academic world whether I could ever have done it, because I left school with no qualifications. I'd got business qualifications by then. I'd got financial planning qualifications, but I hadn't got any academic qualifications. So I thought, again, let's do something crazy. Let's go to university. So I gave up a very good job, much to people's surprise, thinking I needed counselling, needed some psychiatric care. And I went to be a full-time student at Birmingham University, studying theology and history. Loved it. It was absolutely fantastic, apart from I was about 35 and everybody else in the class was 18, which I could tell you there's a few stories there that came out. And they were three wonderful years. And I graduated from university and uh, did quite well with that, but then felt that the call on my life was, uh, I'm a Christian and I believe that God speaks to us in lots of different ways, but I felt that the call on my life at that time was to start a community-based church in the town where I live. So my wife and I, from scratch, started a brand new church. And it was called New Song Community Church. It's still going now. It's still a thriving church. And uh, my wife and I led that church. I was senior pastor there for uh, 10 years, 10 years and one week. And in terms of like public speaking experience, I mean, there is about a 1,000 messages that I spoke in those years of writing things. So there's a lot of experience there. And then after 10 years and one week, I decided, well, it's time to do something else. Really crazy. Let's do something else. And I went to work for an international Christian charity called Christian Vision. And I got on a plane from England and I ended up in Ukraine, in Kiev, Ukraine. And my job was to set up a regional location, Russian-speaking regional location and that's what I've been doing for the last seven years and now we have 50 staff there we've got internet television channels internet radio channels and orphan projects and street kids projects it's been an amazing journey I have lived such a blessed life I really have
1: Peter the next quote from the book is people don't live without a story without a role to play What are some of your roles? Well, I'm husband. Uh, First of all, I'm a dad.
0: I've been blessed with two wonderful children. I have a daughter, Laura, who is a bit of a chip off the old block, and Sam, who is just so clever and, and smart when it comes to stuff on the internet he's as as sharp as anything and they are such a blessing to me i thank god every day for them that they are despite me being their dad <laughs> they've actually turned out okay maybe they might say well sometime in the future we'll send you the cancelling bills dad i don't know but i'm a dad i'm a brother i've got a sister i've got a, a son and my mom's still alive um, I'm a regional director for this charity. I'm a member of a church. At this moment in time, I'm vice president of education at a Toastmasters group. I'm a dog walker. I've got a dog, which I love every every morning. I'm up really early walking the dog. Um, I'm a professional kazoo player. Um, <laughs> What else? I've got a few other roles. I'm trying to be an author. I'm about to publish a book. In the next uh, month or so, I'm going to publish my first book. I'm in the process of developing a podcast. I've done a few audio trials, which are just up on SoundCloud at this moment in time. I'm going to be a pilgrim. I'm going to walk 800 kilometers in the spring across Spain on a pilgrimage called The Way. I'm going to do the Camino. I think that's probably enough roles. (laughs) I'm a friend
1: to Jared Easley. That's what I'm as well. That's a good role. Well, I certainly appreciate that. You have been a good friend. Uh, We'll keep tracking here. The next quote is, we have to force ourselves to create these scenes. We have to get up off the couch and turn (laughs) the television off. We have to blow up the inner tubes and head to the river. Peter, would you be willing to talk about some of the scenes that you've created? Yeah.
0: There was one particular quote, which is not that one, but it's part of the same section of the book you're talking about, is where Donald Miller says, "Uh, great movies have memorable scenes and so does a good life. And so often we can get stuck. You know, we can get into a routine and for all sorts of reasons, we can get into routines because life gets busy. We get distracted by things. We, lots of reasons. We just get into a routine and I'm 53 now. And what I'm finding is that, The days and the weeks and the months go so quick. And before you know it, another year's gone. And you you turn around and your life seems to have passed. And so after reading this book, for me, I have made a a solid commitment that I want to create memorable scenes. I remember a time with my children, actually, when I was at university. And I always thought, if anything happened to me, if I died, how would they remember me? So for three years, I actually wrote them a letter a week and put it in a box and kept it for them until they were 18 because I wanted them to know what their dad thought about them and how their dad loved them and what their dad thought about the world. But, you know, I'm grateful for every day. But what I try to do is create some memorable scenes and some silly little things. I leave notes around the house. I I send a lot of letters to the kids. I I don't know, just do some crazy things from time to time. But I think if you don't, when you look back over your life, you don't remember every day. What you remember is the days that you made the effort. And it may have just be that you go to the park and feed the ducks or you go and teach your daughter to ride a bike in the park. They're not necessarily big deals. But those days that you do get away from the television and do something that is memorable will be the days that you look back years from now and say, those were special days.
1: One of my favourite stories of yours is the Australia story. Uh, Would you be willing to share that? Yeah, of course I will do. Well, I say that I travelled, I flew
0: 7,182 miles just to cook my kids a beef burger. And how it came about was solely because of Donald Miller's book and someday I hope I get the opportunity To look him in the eye and say, thanks, Donald, for that book, because it made a huge impact on me. And after reading that line that I mentioned a minute ago, I thought I need to do something a little bit different. And how it came about, my children, my son was working in Australia. He was doing a a year's work experience in Australia. And my daughter was traveling the world. She loves traveling just like I do. And she decided to go traveling. And she was going to be in Australia when it was my son's birthday. Now, I thought, you know, we both can't afford to travel. And I knew that my wife would be missing them because they were both going to be gone for 12 months. So what I did for Christmas, I actually bought my wife a very nice brown leather Radley handbag, which is very popular here in England. And inside the bag, I put, zipped up, a ticket from England to Australia for her to fly there and see the children. Now, what a husband could that be! How good must it be to be married to me? I mean, my I'm good. Much job my wife's not doing this interview because she'd tell you that she'd tell you the real truth. Uh, <laughs> she'd tell you what it's really like. But she said, "Well, look, there's no way that that's going to happen. There's no way I'm going to Australia on the, on my own." And I said, "Look, it's too late. You go in anyway." The months turned into weeks, and then they turned into days, and she headed off to Australia. And as it happened at that moment in time, I'd got to go to Los Angeles, actually to Saddleback Church out in Orange County, to a big conference on orphans and working with orphans across the world. And while I was there, this book, I'd been reading it, and I'd got this thought going through my mind. And I thought, what if I could get to Australia? I'd got some air miles because I travel a lot. As I say, I I work in Kiev, but I live in England and I keep commuting between the two places. So as it happened, with just a few dollars, I'd got enough money to get from Los Angeles to Sydney to Brisbane. So I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to surprise him. And so working with a friend of mine there, I got on this plane. Man, I don't think I've ever spent so many hours on a plane in my life. And I ended up, he took me to this beach, deserted, it was, just outside of Brisbane and he'd invited my wife and his family and my kids just to have a barbecue on the beach on an afternoon. I got to the airport, I got straight in the car, went straight to this beach and started cooking the burgers. And lo and behold, within about 20 minutes, who should come along this beach but my wife and my kids? And they'll look in and my son's looking and he's looking into the distance and you can see, he's saying, well, that looks just like dad. And it can't can't be he's in America, like, you know, and then as he gets closer, he suddenly realizes there's his dad on a deserted beach in Australia, cooking burgers. And uh, my wife and daughter, they were coming along and they were just chatting to each other. They hadn't really noticed and suddenly see Sam hugging this stranger on the beach. Who's that? And then they see it's me. And it was just the most wonderful scene ever. It was just uh, one of those things that they will remember forever. I'm sure they'll tell the grandkids about their crazy granddad and the surprise he pulled on them.
1: (laughs) I love that story. It is. It's like a, a scene from a movie.
0: But the thing about that, Jared, is that everybody has the opportunity to create those kind of memories every day. They don't need to be on that scale It can be the simple thing of writing a message to say that you love somebody, that you're grateful for them, sticking it on the visor in the car, putting it in the handbag. It can be putting a message in your kid's lunchbox. It doesn't need to be big things. It can be saying instead of just doing the normal thing on Saturday, like going to the shopping mall, let's go and do something crazy. Let's go and walk somewhere. Let's go and do something different. Let's have tea this week and all wear stupid hats. You know, those are the things that you do actually aren't, you don't need to do spend a lot of money to do things. It's actually saying, let's make a moment memorable. And that can be done in lots of different ways. And everybody can do that. And I would strongly encourage the people that listen to your podcast to realize, you know, time is very precious. And unless we act on things today, we don't know whether we've got tomorrow. And so we can't put these things off. We
1: have to make memorable moments today. Mm, well said. You know, I recently watched the movie Saving Mr. Banks. I don't know if you've seen yes, that or I not. Have. But, I have. Um, <laughs> there was a quote from that movie, and it basically was the family didn't have a ride to get to the train, and the husband says to the wife, "You know, a leisurely stroll is a gift." <laughs> <laughs> and and then, of course, it's kind of a you know a joke, meaning, "Hey, we're walking," but at the same time, there was just something to that yeah. statement really is a leisurely stroll is a gift and how many yeah. opportunities are people missing, missing. And and I mean that
0: film their- has got many different layers but what I like about the dad in that film I mean there's like all of us you know we're not all perfect there's you know there's faults in all of us and but what he did was he was willing to go out in the fields with his daughter and act and play and be with her when really maybe he could have been doing some other things And though she remembered some of the difficult times, what she did remember was the times he took her out on the horse, the times he played with her, the times he acted in front of her. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, she did remember
1: some of the tough times, but she also remembered some of those other memorable scenes as well. Yeah. Peter, what encouragement do you offer to the listeners who want to tell a better story with their life? First of all, I would say do it. I know that's an
0: easy thing to say. But so often we worry what other people are going to say about us. We worry, I think, too much about other people's opinions. And um, five years from now, the things that we're worrying about today won't even matter. But what will matter is the people that we love and the people that love us. And that understanding that our days are finite. And if we don't seize the moment and do something before we know, we, our days are gone. A while ago, I actually calculated out how many days I might have. Now, we don't know this, but I, at that moment in time, had lived about 16,000, 17,000 days. I can't remember the exact amount. There's places on the internet you can go to, put your date of birth in, and it'll tell you how many days you've been alive. And then I looked and thought, what is the average lifespan of an English man? And I worked out I'd got about just under 9,000 days left if I lived to what was the average lifespan. That doesn't sound many. It doesn't sound any, hardly any left at all. And it's like, I want to make the most of every day. I don't want to miss an opportunity. And like I was reading a book the other day, I want to live full and die empty. That's what I want to do. I want to make the most and write the best story. I would encourage listeners to do the same. Don't think you're going to be doing it 10 years from now. Oh, I'll wait till sometime in the future because you don't know whether you've got the future. I would encourage you, do it today. Tell somebody that you love them while you've got the opportunity to tell them. Do something memorable while you've got the opportunity to do something memorable. Don't put it off till tomorrow because you might not get tomorrow. Wow.
1: Well said. Peter, your story has greatly encouraged me. It's challenged me. It's made me rethink some things. I'm just so grateful for your friendship. And what's the best place for the listeners to stay connected with everything you're doing? You mentioned your book and and just all these exciting things you have coming up. Hey, before I tell you that, it's both ways,
0: Jared. Uh, You are also an inspiration to me. You're an inspiration to a lot of people and your friendship, the way that you connect with people online. Uh, sets you apart. And I really consider it an honor and a pleasure to be your friend. And so it works both ways, let me tell you. If people want to get hold of me, you could go to my website, peterbillingham.com. And there's all sorts of information on there. stories, lots of advice and tips on public speaking and how to be an effective communicator, particularly if you're an entrepreneur and you want to grow in the ability to speak. You'll find things on there or my favorite social media of choice is Twitter. And you can find me at Pete Billingham, not Peter Billingham, but Pete Billingham. And I'd love to start a conversation with people. It'd be great to get to know some more people.
1: Well, and you've recently joined Instagram too. <laughs> <laughs> that was
0: down to you. That was down last, when we were in Las Vegas together and you said, why aren't you on Instagram? So yeah, I've actually learned now using that program if you this, then that, that you can actually put it onto Instagram and it sends it to Twitter, but it doesn't put that stupid, ugly link in it. It puts it in as a nice picture.
1: Yeah, it's very nice.
0: I put on today, I put my happy tie and my happy cufflinks (laughs) on today. That was my picture (laughs) on Instagram. And it's a tie that if you look at it, it really could do with a pair of sunglasses on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, Peter, I could talk to you for another hour. I mean, we didn't even get to hashtag hot coffee. So we'll just have to have you on the show to talk about that some other time. Hey, Peter, I really appreciate it. Do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? It's always too soon to quit. (laughs) Always too soon to quit. Yeah. Just like this interview, it's too soon to quit. (laughs) Hey, Peter. Always too soon to quit. Fair enough. Peter, thank you again. Thank you, Jared.
0: the opportunity to tell them do something memorable while you've got the opportunity to do something memorable don't put it off till tomorrow because you might not get tomorrow